Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. I will be reading from Luke 4, verses 14 through 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. <laughs> but uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to start with just uh, a few questions. Have you ever experienced a moment when good news didn't seem so good? A moment when good news provides relief temporarily, but provides no clarity about the future. For example, maybe you get the news that you don't have cancer or this disease or that disease, but the doctor says, I still don't know why your pain won't go away. What about a moment when you hear good news for someone else that couldn't seem worse for you? How do you respond? Do you have the tendency to tear down that person or those group, that group of people or undermine that good news? Or do you celebrate that good news that's for them? Over this season, we have spent time beholding the birth of Jesus. The good news of God with us on human terms. Not for a temporary moment, but for the sake of eternally enlivening us. And now we have to come to terms with the fullness of Jesus' life. the, The life after His birth. We see his story play out in ways that are both unexpected and often seem 
unreasonable to us. And as we leap into the day after Christmas, the story of Jesus moving forward, we must hold on to good news. We must hold on to good news even when the news doesn't seem good to us, to the group you find yourself in, or even when it just doesn't make sense. Good morning. Uh, My name is Matt Delano. I am the discipleship minister here at this church. Uh, If you are new here or are still uh, relatively new here, we just want to say welcome. We are so glad you are here with us this morning. Uh, As you can tell uh, in saying that I'm the discipleship minister, I am not our preaching minister. Uh, So I'll be up here this week uh, with y'all, and I'm glad to be here. Um, And then next week, Michael Waldrop, our student minister, will be preaching. uh, And then Zane, our preaching minister, will return on January 9th. Uh, But no matter what led you here this morning, uh, no matter why you're here, I believe that God is going to give you exactly what you need. That is my prayer for us today. So this morning, uh, as, as Kayla graciously read uh, 16 verses, uh, we jump into Jesus' life. And if you don't know Jesus, Jesus is a Jewish man that happens to just be the Son of God. And at this moment in time, Jesus is tired. Jesus has just spent 40 days preparing him for ministry, uh, or as God's preparing him for ministry, as he is subverting the devil's attempt to tell him that God is something else. And now today in this story, Jesus is launched into ministry by the Spirit, and his first experience is rejection. His own people reject him. Jesus preaches a sermon rich with Old Testament images and stories that the people His people know well. And yet, it has incited a riot of sorts against him. The first of many. And it may seem like a strange story to encounter the day after Christmas. But believe me, it's the perfect story for today. It invites us into the reign of God and to to wonder why what Jesus is saying matters. And I hope it will lead us to a few questions, a few sets of questions at least. One, who is God for? And thus, who are you for? Who are we for? And then the second of those is, how do we witness to the reality that Jesus is preaching? Because this word is living and active. So back to the story. Jesus' own people reject the good news that the Spirit has ushered in. And much of this reaction stems from Jesus doing the unexpected. He has shared the mission and vision of God to the people he grew up with, a mission that meant Jesus, that God incarnate, is not just for his Jewish brothers and sisters in Nazareth, but rather God is for and was and is for deep, transformative community. And not just any kind, it's a kind that finds existence through the ushering in of good news. A particular good news. A news that is good news and justice to those who have felt the reality of oppression and the absence of freedom. And this is the starting point. We will get deeper into the text, but we have to start here. I want you to see these two 
things juxtaposed, right? The start of this story to the end, right? We read the very beginning. Jesus is filled with the power of the Spirit, and in particular, it says, he began to teach in synagogues in the surrounding country, and he was praised by everyone. Everyone. And yet something in between leads to a drastic change of feelings, right? We start there and we end with rage. We end with them getting up and driving Jesus out of the town. And they want to hurl him off a cliff. That's quite the change. And whether you are a Christian or not, I think, I think we can all agree, right, that, that justice for the poor, uh, release to the captives, freedom to the oppressed, sight to the blind, those seem like good things, right? Yeah? Good things? <laughs> but what if those things were being proclaimed and this good news was not for you? At least not in the moment. You find yourself actually as the opposite of those things. The opposite of poor. The opposite of oppressed. The opposite of captive. And this good news that was for the poor, spiritually, physically, financially, the people who are outside of my attention, your attention, maybe even the people you despised or thought less of, or maybe it is for you, you just don't want it. And here, Jesus, the hometown hero of Nazareth, the blessed son of Joseph and Mary, who's grown up before these people's eyes, right? They ask, is this Joseph's son? And we hear, right, he's a renowned teacher and preacher from what they know. And yet, for some reason, Jesus' message of freedom and justice hits differently. And it's not like he is preaching something that's not from Scripture, the good news he's been appointed to share is from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and it has not seemed so good to Jesus' so-called people. And why, you might ask? It's because the reality is, is that good news doesn't always seem good to all involved. Good news for the poor does not equate immediately to good news for the non-poor. And this is especially hard for the people of Nazareth to hear. Because you, as you heard in the middle, these people, Jesus reveals their hard hearts. He says, you are going to reject me, right? He says, it. He says, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. Jesus, Jesus is saying, I am bringing good news and meeting the needs of people not just here. And what's fascinating, what we have to understand is that Jesus' hometown friends are not, they don't want less of Jesus, right? They want more of Jesus. More of Jesus for themselves, even at the cost of Scripture being left unfulfilled. They misunderstand the equation. They think Jesus going out means bad things. And I have to admit, I think you know the feeling, right? It's when you have a good thing, there's something within us that says, I don't want to share it. Or, I at least want to control the narrative as to how it's shared, right? I want to say who it gets shared with, I want to say how much 
get shared. We may have all been experiencing this yesterday. As we had that last piece of pie, right? You're like, uh, I don't know if I want to give that to anybody else, right? But really, it, it's something within us. We want to control the narrative. We want to decide who gets the good things. And that is the problem. That is what happens when we view God solely as a personal God for me or for us, and we tend to not want to give Jesus away. We don't want to give him away to people we don't understand, to people we don't relate to, to people we don't know. Rather, we claim him as our own, and we think we have the power to decide whether Jesus is with them or not with them. And what's so fascinating in this story, and I think we experience a little of this every day as we come to know who Jesus is, is that the Nazarenes didn't understand who Jesus was as the Son of God. This was just the beginning. And yet one thing they were sure about is that Jesus' presence meant good news to them. In every way, at least up until this point. Now, I want us to switch gears for a second. I have to ask a question, too. For, I'm, I'm wanting this to hit home. I know not all of you are sports fans. Bear with me. I do have to ask, though, are there any Longhorn fans here? Make yourself known. Less than I expected? Okay. I know there's a lot of Aggies in here. But, <laughs> so, but I want you to imagine with me, okay? Um, imagine a boy named... Mike. He was raised in Hutto, Texas, and the good news he brings, this is a modern day example, the good news he brings is solely related to the cannon that is attached to his right arm, which fires footballs every Friday night for touchdowns, right? This kid was born and raised in burnt orange, and now he's made it to the end of his senior year of high school. He's being recruited to bring the good news and healing to fan bases across the country, but come on, He's a shoe-in, right, to be a Longhorn. I mean, this kid, like, the G like Jesus of Nazareth, found himself in a synagogue of sorts every Saturday in the fall. Folks here would know that as DKR Texas Memorial Stadium. And Mike had been to every game since he was bouncing around in the womb to Texas fight. And he is not just any recruit. He is the number one recruit in the country. Again, for you non-sports folks, non-football folks, all this means he is the best at what he does. And he is better at his position than the best at every other. And every team wants him. And as we get to the day known as National Signing Day, where Mike finally reveals where he is taking his good news, he makes an impromptu speech much like Jesus. I even think I saw it in the Austin American Statesman. Right, yep, Mike Hippo. Okay, he says, The spirits of the football gods have anointed me to bring championships to the defeated, to take my good news, and to restore favor to the poor of Norman. That's right. I'm taking my talents not to South Beach, but to the University of Oklahoma. I know. Should be an audible gasp. Chris, I know you're happy. The Few and far between, it's, uh, especially if you're a diehard Longhorn fan, right? This is the worst news possible. It's betrayal. Some of your blood might be boiling right now, even though it is not true. Don't worry, there's nobody named Mike Hippo. Uh, 
And y'all, this is good news for him. This is good news for Chris. But that's about it, right? I know this as an Oklahoma State fan, right? Norman, I think of them as poor. They have a lot more national championships than us. Uh, But to be quite honest, the violent rage of the people of Nazareth towards their favorite son, who went to share good fortune with those paid least attention to, is not so different from the hate and hostility of angry college football fans in the South who feel betrayed or angry at the loss of a game, a hometown recruit, or even a rival winning. And y'all, here is a telling example of this hostility. Okay, in in, in Alabama, there are two public universities that kind of carry the state in football. One more than the other. I won't give, give that away. Uh, you have Alabama University, and then you have, or the University of Alabama. I almost screwed that up. I know people wouldn't like that. Uh, and Auburn University. And in 2010, after a long time, uh, Auburn happened to win the national championship in football. Good news for them. It's been a while. This just means that they were the best team that year. And so, in light of this, a fan from the University of Alabama and his anger about the good news of Auburn winning decided to undermine their celebration by poisoning, listen, I'm not making this up, by poisoning the roots of sacred trees on Auburn's campus at, Tumor, at a place called Tumor's Corner. He was so upset about the good news for Auburn, his rival, the hated, that he killed trees that people loved. And get this, this is even wackier. The trees that are now planted in Tumor's Corner are under 24-hour surveillance. He killed trees. And he went to prison. Good news for others that seems unfortunate to us, that leads us maybe to be the butt of the joke, can lead us to some cruel and crazy decisions. Good news intended for others, news that is bringing about freedom or relief to a certain group of people can lead us to acting out when the news doesn't seem good to us. And y'all, in those moments, this is hard to name, but we can even willingly try to keep good news to ourselves at the cost of others continuing to be stuck in a life of poverty of captivity, and of deep sadness. That is the dilemma that the hearers of Jesus' words find themselves in. And it matters for us today. As a church, as people who follow Jesus, as someone who maybe is considering following Jesus, we have to decide what are we going to do in light of these words. We have to get to why it matters. And so I want us to look back again. I want to read it again because it is so important. Just exactly, not just what Jesus said, right? This is what Jesus read. Jesus reads, The Spirit of of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The eyes of all of the synagogue 
were fixed on him. And then Jesus began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the message that sends folks in a tizzy, into a tizzy. And one of my professors from school says, uh, had a commentary on this, on this passage that I think speaks so well to what's happening. Uh, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but Jerusha Neal, uh, she, she writes, Proclaiming good news to the poor often means proclaiming discomforting news to the comfortable. But it is still good news. It is freeing news, and the key is here, if it can be heard. God's favor does not privilege home or country, and God's people are not always playing the roles they expect. What Jesus tells his audience that day is that they had every reason to believe they were fully on the inside. And now they might just be on the outside. They are not who this message is for, at least today, and they have chosen anger over being a part of the mission of this message. And Jesus even, he points to these prophets. I won't go into specifics today, but in 2 Kings 5 and 1 Kings 17, he points to prophets that these people, the devout Jews of Nazareth, know so well. And to their God, who is, who is working in the lives of those considered to be on the outside, over and against those who believe they are in. Especially when those who believe they are in don't recognize that God's reign is not theirs to give out. An example of how privilege and prejudice have crept into our beings in a way that makes us callous. Callous towards those we don't know well, to those that are unlike us, to those that we deem above us or below us. We fall into the trap because of this we fall into the trap of treating the poor without dignity. We inflict pain on purpose effortlessly, just like the rage that overcame those in Nazareth. Because our posture turns good news into bad news, into news that is for others, and so it can't be good for us. And for the people of Nazareth and for us today, this is a word we have to hear. If we think too much about being in, if we are too self-involved, we might just end up being on the outside. Or at least we may be actively working against the God who invites all people in even those outside of our limited purview. Because the good news of Jesus presupposes something. Something about every single one of us. And that is that we are missing something without Him. We are not fully good with Him without Him. And that is hard to hear in our culture. And we are not full as well without living out the message of living love. And that means good news to the poor. And if we miss this reality, 
The news can't be anything but bad for us. And what's interesting is what we are often missing, why we're often missing something is not because it hasn't been told to us. It's because we haven't opened our ears to hear it. Jesus' words here do something. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus' words do something. They call us to something. We must hear and do, and it is urgent. Jesus says today. He doesn't say tomorrow. He doesn't say not when you're ready. He doesn't say after you hear different news. He doesn't say when you get more comfortable with this news. He says right now. And we have to be willing to hear this in a time that is not much different from Jesus' time. People are rejecting Jesus over and over again because they aren't ready to hear. And y'all, I have been not ready to hear many times. And I have missed out on the good news. And at this moment, Jesus' friends choose to stay spiritually ignorant. Their rage holds them captive and it blinds them and it clarifies something to us, right? I'm not giving myself an out, so just hear this. I'm, I'm in this boat. Jesus' spirit-filled preaching doesn't necessarily create a congregation ready to hear. Did you hear that? Jesus' spirit-filled preaching did not necessarily create a congregation ready to hear. And yet, and yet, this lack of hearing does not deter the arrival of the gospel. But it does force us to acknowledge the silos we get back into when we hear something that doesn't seem good for us. And I have to name it, nowadays that can lead, poison, can lead to us poisoning trees, wanting to hurl someone off a cliff. It can also lead to violence against ourselves, addiction, instant gratification, and so many others. Jesus is asking us to be willing to listen, to be flexible, even when our ways don't align with his ways. And even when it costs us. And so as we head to the home stretch this morning, we must hear and do something. Again, as I said, and, and Jerusha Neal says this so well, the, the professor I just mentioned earlier, Jesus has shown up with good news regardless of whether it is received. We don't decide who the good news of Jesus is for, and God is not dependent on us alone to bring the good news of Jesus because Jesus the anointed one, the one we celebrated yesterday, has already embodied this good news in a way that brings about freedom to the poor, to the captives, to the downtrodden. And yet, this good news is something that Jesus wants us, wants you, wants me to be a part of the revealing. The core behavior we talk about, Jesus wants us to be a reason for someone to come home. We can't be the reason, but he wants us to be a reason because God is not dependent on us, but God has invited us to be a part of the mission. 
The mission that was witnessed in the stories of Elijah and Elisha that make it very clear that God is not just the God of the Jews. He is not just the God of this church. He is not just the God of America, but he is the God of bringing good news to all people. Because through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, God is bringing good news to all people and specifically to ones who have been forgotten. The one who has been paid least attention to. And I know this, at some point in my life, I have tried to undermine that good news for the sake of me grasping and holding on to it. But the good news is that Jesus meets the needs of those who are forgotten. And by doing that, he fulfills all of our needs in, our purest, in their purest forms. For some, it's the need to acknowledge partiality and privilege within us. For some of us, it's the need to experience freedom. To experience freedom from pain and captivity. We need to see this as good news because it is the gospel. And it invites us to ask, how is the Spirit particularly calling you? How is the Spirit particularly calling this church to seek out bringing each of these things? How can we fulfill the Scripture in our hearing today? Not just by acknowledging it and sulking, but by hearing and actively responding. Now as we close this morning, I want to give you all a couple of examples. Uh, ways that you can be about the mission of Jesus and exactly what he said uh, in this passage. The first of those is something called the Innocence Project. So the Innocence Project is an accessible option. You can find it at innocenceproject.org. Um, this organization provides support uh, and legal expenses to those who maintain that they have been falsely convicted. And this site is, is filled with ways to inform yourself about the stories of folks who have been wrongly convicted and to the horrors of some of our justice system. And this is not me making an argument about whether someone's convicted or not, or wrongly convicted or not, but I would like for you to, to, to see this page, to see these stories. It also provides ways to donate to the cause financially, to submit a case, or even to join as a legal representative locally. And y'all, we, we can be blind to this as much as we want to. I know I'm blind to it all the time until uh, I had an opportunity to work in some of our prisons, but this is a fact. This is in the New York Times. The U.S. has less than 5% of the world's population, but it has almost a quarter of the world's prisoners. I think I looked yesterday, and we have 20% of the world's prisoners. And to be honest, one of the groups of people that are most marginalized in our, in our society, the ones most forgotten are often the men, women, and teenagers that sit in cells. The ones who celebrated Christmas yesterday without their loved ones. And the Jesus who just spoke said that he came to proclaim release to the captives. And this could not line up more with the mission of the Innocence Project. Another opportunity to live into Jesus' message and to get to know is a local organization. It's called Hope Alliance in Round Rock. You can go to hopealliancetx.org. Y'all, this is Williamson County's only resource center and emergency shelter for those affected by family and sexual violence. 
of the many people that I've known in my life, some of the most ex- difficult experiences that people need release from, need care and support in, are those of sexual and physical trauma. And as a church, we must be a safe space for those people. We must be informed about what's around us, Hope Alliance, for example, and we must know how to help. Because if we don't, we will continue to heap more trauma on. And y'all, I know both of these things are not necessarily comfortable or easy or things that are in our everyday lives. But, y'all, the good news of Jesus, it's uncomfortable. It's challenging. It's unexpected at times, and but it's breaking into the now. It's inviting us to action. The question is, will we expect or will we accept unexpected good news, even when it doesn't seem good or easy? And will we ask God for the bravery and open-handedness to consider how God's Spirit is showing us what it looks like to hear and to respond? Because good news doesn't have to revolve around us for it to be good. In fact, the fullness of good news, it can't be the fullness of good news unless freedom and deliverance is found outside of our silos where Jesus is already active and working, beckoning us to join in. Please pray with me this morning. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his mission. We thank you for his purpose. We thank you for the fact that, God, you have invited us in to that mission. God, there are so many moments where we want to say no, where we want to say that good news is not for us. God, rid us of that posture. Help us to see that any time that Jesus is going out to more people, to more places, that is only good news. And God, help us to really understand what in our hearts is stopping us or, or keeping us from, from jumping in to these things. We love you and ask that you go with us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.